Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, or whatever part of the day you identify with. Hi, I'm Sam, and welcome to Who Asked You? A show where I talk about whatever, whenever, however, because, I mean, nobody asked me to, but here I am doing it. So welcome. Hi, how are you? I know you can't talk to me, but I'm just going to ask anyway. Um, I haven't <laughs> uploaded an episode since I think it was July 31st. And in that episode, I talked about getting on a regular recording schedule. So obviously that didn't happen. Um, It's been a weird, weird course of months. I would say on the mental health side, I am doing actually really, really well. Um... I see my therapist every few weeks, and it's just been incredibly helpful, especially during all of this. I have been working towards a lot of goals as far as my mental health goes, and overall, I remember when I first started therapy, one of the biggest things for me was being authentic and kind of cultivating honesty in my life. and. I've noticed within the past few months, but more so like more recently than that, I'm no longer afraid to be honest. That was a big problem for me for a very long time. And I think the lack of fear of being honest, it's come from a place that now, since I'm living such an authentic life, it doesn't matter what my truth is or what my honesty is. I trust other people to be able to handle their feelings whenever I tell them how I feel about something. For a very long time, I was afraid of people and how they would react to my feelings and my thoughts and my emotions. And so in order to... I guess placate conflict or avoid conflict really is what it is. I would kind of push myself aside. And sure, I feel this way about something, but your feelings matter more because you're the one who's like visibly upset or whatever, you know? It's almost as if I didn't have room to be upset. And that's been actually a theme across my life, really. I remember as a child, like, there were many instances where my feelings didn't really matter. And that's something I've addressed in therapy. Like, I didn't have much space to feel my feelings. I think growing up, and while this isn't a child's responsibility to take care of their parents, I think growing up, my parents were going through a lot of their own stuff emotionally, And so, (laughs) in my perception, it's as if because your kids aren't happy, that means you're doing something wrong or your kids are being ungrateful that you're so unhappy in order to make them happy. It's like this really weird cycle of unhappiness, right? Um, I I can't recall a specific instance. I, I (laughs) I really want to, but I can't recall a specific instance of that happening um 
in my childhood, but I do recall like many times, actually there was one time, I can't recall the problem and why I was being yelled at, but I remember my mother yelling at me and it was so like unfair in my mind and I wanted to be strong, (laughs) even though it was like something that was going to make me cry. And I recall like I, I like placed my tongue in between my, my, my teeth and I just kind of bit down to distract myself from whatever was going on around me at the time. Like I was being yelled at and I was going to cry, but in order to distract myself and give myself anything, oh wow. And I think to give myself something to think about and just kind of dissociate for a second. I mean, while maintaining eye contact. So there was like that level of like acting, right? You're performing that you were listening, but I was so upset and angry and it felt like it was unfair. I just bit down on my tongue and let that distract me until the verbal abuse was over. (laughs) Um, And then in my past relationship, um, you know, there were so many instances. We both were very afraid of hurting each other's feelings. And so we often, on both sides, bit our tongues. But I definitely felt like my feelings were not as valid as theirs. And I'm sure if I were to say that, they might not agree. Maybe they will now. That might be a possibility, but not having that discussion. And nor do I really want to, because at this point I've kind of cultivated just an entire new life and it's almost redundant to even talk about those things. But, um, yeah, we were just very afraid of hurting each other's feelings. And there were so many topics that like I wouldn't bring up, he wouldn't bring up. And one thing I recall specifically is I really wouldn't point out when he would make fun of me and the times that I did he would be like what that's that we joke around that's like what we do and in those moments (laughs) it tells me that my perception doesn't matter as much that's the lesson that I learn you know is I tell you this thing hurts me and you tell me, well, no, that's like not real. And then I learn to not trust myself and not to trust my feelings. And that sucks, dude, that sucks. And so then after multiple instances of that, I just kind of like stopped. Um, and it kind of went through phases. Like, there were times where I stopped, and there were times where I was just so fed up and angry that, like, I kind of bit back. Like, I would dig in my heels, like, if I felt you were mistreating me. Like, I'm angry and I'm upset, and this is a cultivation of all these things you've been doing to me. Um, I'm drinking coffee. I hope it doesn't sound too distracting. (laughs) Or gross. This is an an ASMR podcast. Um, But if you want it to be, it can be. And 
No, just kidding. I would never. Um, so yeah, ultimately, those are the lessons I learned from like major relationships in my life with my family and with my partner. And I guess partners, but when I was younger, because I, I started dating my last person when I was 19. So before that, it didn't really, relationships didn't have a lasting effect on me. But I think, like, going forward, like, yeah, there are things that I've had to unlearn and kind of deal with. Um, a major thing that I've kind of dealt with in the past few months uh, regard, regarding, like, men and dating and learning lessons. Um, I... This is embarrassing to admit to a public stage, (laughs) but I have a tendency to, I guess, idealize people or I kind of like, I guess they play it cool and like pretend that I don't expect much from people, but when they kind of like show me who they are, like I get disappointed and I think disappointment is normal because like obviously you want things to work out, but, um, You know, I had been briefly dating this person and initially it was like a hookup kind of situation and it's like, whatever. Um, But then he was like, yeah, like I would love to like date you like that. And I was like, okay, cool. That's great. Awesome. First date was amazing. Went to like a really like small tiki bar with no other people in it, which was really awesome. And then... Um, just hung outside their car for like, it seemed like two hours just talking. And that was really awesome. Um, I had a feeling that this person and I like might not be like the greatest match, but I still was into it. Um, like, cause they were like kind of like, I don't want to say macho cause they were kind of nerdy, but like very, very straight. Like, their lifestyle has been very not queer at all. And me, my background, my life, I'm like, everything has been queer since day one. (laughs) So, like, I think, you know, actually, thinking about it, part of that excites me. Because then I get to, like, kind of expose somebody to a new world. Um, And that's like a me thing, I guess. I... (laughs) I mean, it's not my responsibility and it's not my, you know, if somebody wants to explore those things on their own, that's kind of up to them. But the idea of that excites me. And I think that's always been a thing for me. Oh, I never even thought about that. But, um, and then date two was great. It was awesome. Went to my favorite, like, nature place. Um, canoodled a bit. Uh, (laughs) And... It was, it was nice. And then I was like, it's like date three. Sound good? And they were like, yeah, definitely. I would love to see you again. And then just dropped off the face of the planet. And I mean, this could be due to like extenuating circumstances, like family things happening, whatever. But after a few weeks, it's like, mm, this person probably doesn't want to talk to me. And I kind of have this rule that like, after following up at least twice, try not to push it to twice, but at least twice, if a person doesn't want to text you back, they just won't. 
and that's okay and you just kind of walk on um I feel like I handle rejection very very well only because I feel confident in my presentation I feel confident in who I am and what I'm about that when somebody isn't about it it doesn't like shake me it doesn't like mess with me because it has no hold on me you know, does it suck because I felt like I was a little, maybe like led on by somebody? Yeah, a little bit, but that's much easier to handle. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, and that sucked, moving on, you know? Um, but yeah, somebody not liking me has nothing to do with me and it doesn't make me want to change who I am or what I'm about. Like, if a guy doesn't find me attractive because <clears throat> I have a male body, right? Like, I, like, I've noticed that men that are, are attracted to me, at least on, like, dating things and stuff, like, they have this idea in their mind that because I'm a feminine person, I'm going to, like, look like a five foot two skinny, like, influencer trans girl <laughs> and I'm like sweetie that's not me like do I think I'm like built no but like I used to have a more muscular body and like I'm a thicker person and on one hand it's like it's almost like disappointing to feel like that that is what the standard is that I'm being held to at least now that I'm a feminine person I mean when I was more boyish like the ideal is like muscular and thin and super fit but like the other end of that spectrum like <laughs> it it's like this really weird expectation and when I don't meet that like it's like I don't know guys just men are weird dude men are so weird I mean and I've dated gay men I've dated pseudo straight men and just men are weird. I'm weird because I am, I mean, although I'm a feminine non-binary person, like I am male, <laughs> you know, like men are weird. Um, but yeah, overall, the overall thing that I've like learned, the lesson I've kind of learned is like, A, try not to idealize anybody. B, just kind of honor yourself and like what you're about and who you are and be comfortable with that and see just enjoy the ride as it happens I think too often people look for specific things like you're looking for a partner you're looking for a relationship you're looking for sex but when you just kind of like shut up <laughs> and you're not looking for anything like you're just enjoying life as it happens that's when you can allow yourself to truly be present with your choices and not kind of hold expectations on yourself and others because when you say to someone yeah you know I'm looking you know I'm looking for a relationship you are then placing that expectation that this interaction will lead to a relationship. And I don't think that's necessarily okay. 
like I wouldn't put that expectation on somebody else most people don't put that expectation on me but when you are looking for something specifically I mean it could just be you know what you want right but the other side of that is you have expectations for where these interactions will lead so I think it's good to know what you want that's important but I think ultimately you just gotta enjoy things as they happen I think in my last episode I talked about (laughs) this guy that I went on a date with who went out to Silverado Canyon and (laughs) I lost reception for a few hours and then my entire family my ex and my old co-workers they all (laughs) they all tried to get a hold of me and I was presumed dead essentially well I've been in correspondence with that same person since then and they've been traveling across America they are like the biggest sweetheart like the biggest sweetheart like such a I, 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 like, if this person was somebody that I could actually be around, like, we would be dating. We've already talked about this. Like, we would be just straight up dating. They're an adorable, lovely human being. Um, so that's great. <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up, but that's just what we'd be happy about. Speaking of coworkers, though, I do have a new job. So, yay, woo, awesome. Um... <laughs> It pays more than being a priest. Um, it is full time. Um, and while it is, I guess, technically customer service, I work in an office now, which is really weird. It's a new thing, but it feels really cool to work in an office, which literally means nothing. But like, it just still feels cool to go to an office and work on a computer and just like tap away my day. Um, <laughs> I, I essentially work at like a a call center for designer fashion and that's been really fun and at first I was really afraid of like the clientele because I do know from working in luxury cosmetics that rich people suck as we know (laughs) but like when people complain about designer fashion I I just roll my eyes so hard but when people are mad or upset and they like email the company I don't care and I don't find it as grueling as like somebody complaining about a frappuccino at Starbucks you know it's like I understand the frustration because you spent a lot of money on this thing don't attack me personally and if you do like whatever it's not about me it's about you but I kind of understand more when you spend like a thousand dollars on a pair of shoes. Also, like, why are you spending a thousand dollars on a pair of shoes? That's me, though. Um, but when you spend that much money on a pair of shoes, you kind of want them to be perfect, right? Um, but maybe, ooh, maybe if you'd be upset about your shoes being ruined, you maybe are not in a place to buy a thousand dollar shoes. Think about that for a second. Because maybe you should be in a place to buy $1,000 shoes when it doesn't matter. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking on my ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's that's been really fun. And then I'm starting to work again in makeup, which is crazy. 
I'm very excited though because it's been almost like, I think like seven months, eight months. I think more like eight months since I've like done somebody's makeup. And um, so I think like mid-November I'm going back to work. Only on Saturdays though because I do have a full-time job now because the beauty industry is... Oh, it's really hard to get a full-time job. And <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing that again on Saturdays, which I'm really excited about. I'm only going to have, like, one day off a week now. That's fine, because I still love makeup, and I love being in, like, Sephora's and Ulta's and makeup stores. It's just exciting and fun. Um, but I'm really, really grateful and happy to be back at that. I did kind of professionally, like, relay in an email, like... I'm very interested in interviewing for a full-time position with the company. Um, if and when that happens, that's great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. I do plan on going back to school this summer to study to become a therapist because I think the parts about doing makeup I really enjoy are about helping people achieve like a better version of themselves in their mind and that idea has nothing to do with beauty that comes from a place of just wanting to help humans be better and my medium for a long time has been makeup and that's how I make people feel better and whatnot like no matter if they choose to wear all the makeup in the store or no makeup at all I'm still kind of encouraging them to use whatever they want to be their best selves in their mind. Because I don't know who, what their best selves is. Like, I can't tell them who or what they are, right? Um, but I, I felt very compelled to, you know, research how, how to become a therapist and, like, what that entails. And... I think with formal training and like a schooling background, like I could help a lot of people. And even if I help one person, that's enough for me. I just, I want to feel like I have, I guess, encouraged somebody to be a better version of themselves than they were yesterday. Cause I know that, I mean, that's kind of what my therapist does for me and she inspires me to be a better version of myself and I mean I've cultivated people around me that do the same thing for me like my friends and my relationships like I have cultivated people around me that do inspire me that do make me want to be a better version of myself than I was yesterday and some people don't have that and they don't cultivate that I mean I think I've been able to cultivate that through having therapy so maybe that's kind of the connecting factor there but um, I just want to help people and I'm not going to be like a life changing, like savior kind of person. But if I can just kind of nudge people in the right direction, you know, any way I can, I think that that's worth something to me. Um, yeah, that's, that's worth something to me. Um, in other news, I've been trying to read more recently, and I bought two books. 
One of them is something I've never read before. Another thing is something I read in high school. For some reason, I, I mean, maybe it's the, the 2020s, but <laughs> I just purchased The Great Gatsby. And so I'm going to be reading that. And then I, my sister told me she was buying this for herself. And then I was like, you know what? This is something I've heard about and I've really been wanting to read it. And it's um, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Hulk. Van der Kolk. There we go. But it's The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And let me just kind of, I guess, read the backing of it to give you an idea of what it is. Trauma is a fact of life. Veterans and their families deal with the painful aftermath of combat. One in five Americans has been molested. One in four grew up with alcoholics. One in three couples have engaged in physical violence. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, one of the world's most foremost experts on trauma, has spent over three decades working with survivors. In The Body Keeps the Score, he uses recent scientific advances to show how trauma literally reshapes both body and brain, compromising sufferers' capacities for pleasure, engagement, self-control, and trust. He explores innovative treatments, from neurofeedback and meditation to sports, drama, and yoga, that offer new paths to recovery by activating the brain's natural neuroplasticity. Based on van der Kolk's own research and that of other leading specialists, the Body Keeps the Score exposes the tremendous power of our relationships both to hurt and to heal, and offers new hope for reclaiming lives. Yeah. And I think through all the stuff I've been through in the past few years, and the pandemic especially, and whatnot, I mean, I... I ultimately want to continue to better my, to continue to better myself, and I haven't done yoga in quite some time. That was that was like a nice thing for me to do to clear my mind, but I haven't done that in quite some time. But um, I you know I referenced part of my childhood earlier, and then you know relationships I've had, and while I understand how they affect me, I. I don't know. I think I picked this up because I thought I might learn some valuable things from it. And through excerpts my sister and I have kind of flipped through together, I definitely think I'm going to gain a lot of understanding from this book. So, I mean, maybe I'll talk about it on this podcast. Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't upload for another five months. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, that's something I've been looking forward to reading. So... I'm excited about that. Um, nothing else really has been going on, you know. Uh, I've been, oh, ooh, yes. It's so cringy to talk about and it's such cringy for me to say, but I have been writing poetry. I know, it's, it's terrible, but... <laughs> It's, uh, I've always enjoyed reading it, and, you know, I don't think the people that write these books are looked at as cringy. Maybe I just feel cringy about it because I'm just writing it in a notebook, but, yeah, it's a really nice medium for my thoughts, because I can definitely write things out in journal and whatever, but I think, 
I don't, I just really enjoy writing poetry. I don't think I'm confident enough to, to, you know, read them aloud on this podcast just yet, but that's something that's been going on for me um, in an effort to kind of have an artistic outlet because I can't perform. I can't, you know, perform and sing anywhere. Um, I enjoy drawing, but I don't know, words, you know, have a lot of meaning for me. So I've been writing a lot of poetry and it only comes to me when I'm more so inspired to do it. I will kind of write in short bursts, bursts is what I say. Like I haven't done it probably in like a week, but usually when I have a lot of thoughts in my, in my brain happening, I'll sit down and I'll open up my notebook and just kind of like write these kind of like short bursts of like thought and energy. And that's been incredibly healing as well. So I encourage you to find some form of artistic outlet for your thoughts and your emotions. It's very helpful because sometimes that's all you really need. You know, I think we often think that like we're, there's always something wrong with us. We need help. We need like a distraction. We need something that's going to fix us. But sometimes we just need to let it out. Sometimes we just need to like just word vomit onto a piece of paper or to a therapist, which I highly recommend as well. And you'll feel much better after you release that energy. So I highly recommend finding some creative outlet, something, whatever makes you happy, whether that be painting, whether that be writing, or even just like smashing rocks. I don't know, that could be art. (laughs) But ultimately, take care of yourself, take care of your mind, be a kind human to yourself and to others. And I guess I will see you in my next episode, whenever that happens. Have a lovely week. Bye.